Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3 primarily will be in the book of Ephesians all night tonight, uh, kind of jumping around. Before we begin, uh, let's start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, you are a, a big and awesome, powerful, sovereign God. Lord, you rule over all things in the universe. You created all things in the universe out of nothing. You chose in your mercy and grace to have mercy on us, and we thank you for that. I pray that tonight we would open our ears and open our eyes to your word, that, Lord, I would decrease and you would increase. By the power of your gospel, Lord, you would continue to transform us with your word, sanctify us by your truth, Lord. Your son's name that we pray. Amen. So we've been going through these mystery passages the last few weeks, and I know they've been helpful to me and edifying and in my growth. I've been struggling with the word mystery um, just for the past few weeks, and I think it's because I've had a 21st century understanding of what the word mystery means. Um, for me, mystery means something really hard to understand, maybe impossible to understand, but more and more I read in the New Testament, it seems to be something that God has always had true, but he's revealing it to us now, and that's what we see in Ephesians chapter 3. The title of mine is The Mystery of the Gentiles and the Gospel. Paul will be in verses 1 through 13 specifically. I'll go ahead and read that. So if you will, follow me with verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of the Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as has written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plain, the plan of mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God may now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose 
that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. The book of Ephesians was written by Paul to the book to the church in Ephesus. This letter was written by the apostle Paul while he was in prison in Rome. He was awaiting trial there. Uh, this church was very well connected. They knew Paul well. Um, he was there during the second missionary journey. He spent some time there, and he was the pastor there for a few years. Um, after that, Timothy took over, so he is very familiar with this church. The letter was written to the church as both an encouragement to them and, as we'll see, a reminder of what Christ has accomplished for them. And as we go through here, we're really going to focus in on, on four key verses. Verses 6 through 10 are really the verses we're going to sit in. And as we kind of focus in on those verses, I want to point out three things to keep in mind. The first is the extent of the atonement to the Gentiles. The second is the power of the atonement to the Gentiles. And then finally, we'll look at the means of the atonement to the Gentiles. So the extent, the power, and the means of the atonement or the gospel, or the power of the saving grace to the Gentiles. So Paul begins in chapter 3, in verse 1, by connecting it with what has come previously in chapter 2. He does this very often. We see this, for this reason, in verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul. So to understand for what reason, we need to kind of understand what's going on in chapter 2. Look at chapter 2, verse 17, if you will. So chapter 2, verse 17. And he came and preached peace, talking about Jesus, to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens and the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself be in the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So, essentially, because of the work of salvation, bringing all of these people, Gentiles and Jews, we see an explanation in chapter 2, together as one body, one church, one people, Paul goes on and says, because of that, he is a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of the Gentiles. Now, we know that Paul is in jail right now, and he doesn't draw attention to himself because of that. He draws attention to the fact it's worth it because he is a prisoner for Christ preaching to the Gentiles. It's worth him being in prison. He's being in prison for his preaching, for his preaching to the Gentiles, and it's worth it to him to see this happening in chapter 2. And then he moves on in chapter 3. Assuming, verse 2, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Again, he's been given this task, this stewardship of God's grace for them. 
This is for the Gentiles, the, the gospel to them. And then in verse 3, we see this. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has been made known now, been revealed to the holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So he's building this up. He's building this mystery up, saying that it has not been revealed to them. Not that it hasn't been true or that it hasn't been a reality, but the fact that it hasn't been made known, it hasn't been revealed by God to the people of God. And then he goes into it at verse 6. The mystery of God. uh, The mystery of the Gentiles in verse 6. The mystery is, so he's built up, he said mystery a few times, he's trying to to, to, to have the people who are reading this understand that this is a big deal revealed by God. This isn't Paul making this up. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So the mystery that was revealed to God, spoken to by God to Paul so that he will preach this to the Gentiles is that they are fellow heirs. Is that they are partakers of the promise and members of the same body. Now the first thing that I want to say first is that this is not talking about salvation only. I think oftentimes whenever I read this or, or, or it's preached or it's just briefly kind of Um, read aloud, it's assumed that the only thing that Paul is speaking about is salvation. And it's that, but it's not primarily that. The Jews in the Old Testament knew that salvation was at least possible for the Gentile nations, and many would have come to salvation. Many did come to salvation. So it's not, the mystery is not that the Gentiles will be saved, or some of the Gentiles will be saved. That was already known in the Old Testament. You don't have to turn here, but just listen to some of these verses. Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. I will bless those who bless you, and whom, you dis- whom dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Isaiah 49, 6. I will make a light, for the nations, that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. And finally, Zechariah chapter 2, verse 11. Any, many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day, and, sh- and they shall be my people, and I will dwell in your midst, midst. And you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Throughout the Old Testament, it's been talked about, preached about, revealed that many Gentiles will be saved. So that's not a mystery that now is being revealed in this time to Paul. The mystery is that the believing Jews and Gentiles are joined together in one church, one body, and one promise, all the promises that were given to the Jews. 
that we thought were once reserved for the Jews only. They now are available to the Gentiles. Look at verse 6 again. The mystery is that the Gentiles are now fellow heirs. Fellow heirs with who? Well, we see back in chapter 2 and chapter 1 that Paul is talking to the Jews and the Gentiles. And he kind of breaks it up between the two. In verse 11, he switches from the Jews to the Gentiles. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles were in the flesh. So Paul has been going back and forth within Jew and Gentile. Finally, in verse 6, he talks about how now that they are fellow, the Gentiles are fellow heirs with the Jews. You see, in the Old Testament, if you were believing Jew, being part of the chosen people meant certain things. It meant that God had promised you an inheritance. And that was specific to the Jewish people. We see in the book of Joshua that the story of Israel, the story of Joshua is that they are receiving their inheritance, their physical inheritance, which is the land of Canaan. So we too now are fellow heirs with the Jewish people, which I don't believe means that we're all going to move to Canaan and receive a physical inheritance. But it means something better than that. All of these Old Testament prophecies, whenever they're fulfilled by Jesus Christ, is a fulfillment of the prophecy and then a, a pointing towards, it was pointing towards something greater. Daniel chapter 7 Verse 27 speaks about Paul, or Paul, about how the land is built on a foundation that will never end. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10, is talking about Moses looking towards the promise, uh, the, the kingdom never ending, a never ending kingdom. That is in the, the inheritance that we are promised now, along with every person who believes. Not only are we a part of this inheritance, the inheritance of of everything that the Jews were promised, but now we are part of the same body. There is no distinction between Jew and Gentile. This is not teaching that we're all going to look the same or we're all going to one day just be a blob of the same looking person in heaven. But it means that under salvation there is no distinction there is no there's there's no distinction between the two diversity in the church is a beautiful thing we see in revelation chapter 7 a great multitude of people of every tongue nation tribe Skin color, praising the lamb. We shouldn't just put away diversity and say it's not a big thing. It's a great thing. God designed all types of people. The fact that my son doesn't look like me, has a different skin color than me, is awesome. That's a great thing because God designed us differently. And that should be a thing that we should glorify God because of. But on the basis of salvation... We have equal footing if we believe in Christ. We both will be underneath 
God's grace and mercy in the exact same way. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 says it best, Paul writing in Galatians, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male, no female, for you all are one in Christ Jesus. Under Christ Jesus and his grace and his mercy, not because of something that we have done, we are now together with, Jew, with the Jewish people, with the Israelites, part grafted into this family of believers. The promises that were given to the Jews, the inheritance in verse 7 and verse 6, and now we are in the members of the same body. But I want to I talk very briefly about the promises in Christ Jesus. The promises that were given to the Jews are available for all those who believe. Promises like he will be with us, he will never forsake us, he will give us good gifts, provisions when it, we need it, strength when we're weary. Now we, because we are partakers of these promises that we once thought were reserved to the Jews only, because of Christ Jesus, we now have these promises. We can rest in Christ. One of my favorite verses is every morning that God provides new mercies. New morning, new mercies is, is something I've heard a lot when I was growing up. And we can rest in the fact that every morning we have new mercies. God has provided that to us. Which leads us to my next point. The power of the atonement to the Gentiles. Paul, after teaching that we are part of this atonement, we, we have been, through the gospel, we'll see, grafted in. We are now fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promised. We see in verse 6 how this is even possible. It's through the gospel of Christ Jesus. Paul, within the previous chapter, has broken down what this looks like. Look at chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, we see an amazing picture, uh, one of the best examples and one of the clearest ways that you can explain the gospel to someone and what happens to a person once they believe. Verse 1, you were dead in the trespasses, and sins, and once you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So once, every single person was dead in their trespasses and sin. Verse 3, we see that. Among whom all once lived in the trespasses and the passions of our flesh, flesh carrying out the desires of of the body and the mind. We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. By our nature. The problem with human sin or human beings is not that we sin, is that our nature we sin. And because of that, we, have, we are under God's wrath. That's what we see in verse 3. And then in verse 4, we have one of the best verses 
I think, in Ephesians. Verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved. Jump down to verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made by the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at times separated with Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of the promise. At one time, every Gentile in the world had no idea that there was a promise given to Israel, that God has promised to save all peoples, every nation, tribe, through Israel. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Paul is breaking down the gospel. What happens to us when God chooses to save us? For he himself, verse 14, is our peace who has been made us both, excuse me, verse 14, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Again, there is no separation between Jew and Greek. We're on the same footing. It doesn't matter who your parents were. It doesn't matter who, um, what language you speak, what skin color you have, where, what nation you're from. We're all on the same footing under Christ Jesus. Chapter 3, verse 6 is a summary and explanation of what was accomplished and broken down already by Paul in chapter 2. The gospel of Jesus Christ in verse 6 has more of an effect on us than just saving us from damnation. Verse 6 states that we have, again, been fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise. Oftentimes when we talk about salvation, we just mean that we've been saved from hell. But Paul wants us to understand that it's so much more than just being saved from hell. It's that and all of this other stuff that we get to partake in. I hear Josh many times, and I've been, this phrase has been kind of being on repeat in my head again and again. I've heard Josh Green say this many times, that life's hard. (laughs) And the only thing that we have at the end of the day is God and his promises. We can rest in the fact that God has promised good to us. And every morning now when we do the Ephesians testimony, we hear of people's being saved. But more than that, what is God doing to us? How is he moving us forward? And finally, one day, he will make us perfect with him. So salvation is not only that we're being saved from hell, but we're being saved to something. We're being saved to do something. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that we have, a God that saves the damned. We have a Savior that sympathizes with us, who gives us strength when we are weary, regardless of where you're from and what language you speak. We know that God will 
save us if we turn to him. We have been adopted into the family of God if we have faith in him. So the question that comes up and the, and the cool thing that Paul does here in chapter 3 is, talk, is tell us that we have been, Jews and Gentiles have been saved by the work of Christ Jesus, chapter 2. Chapter 3, he has been explaining the gospel and now we are together, one church family no longer a separation between Jew and Gentile. And we can partake in the promises of God because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, what he has accomplished on the cross. Verses 7 through 13, Paul goes on to explain the means of the atonement. And I don't, I don't want us to miss this. So verse 7, of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am, a very, I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring the light for everyone what is plain, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. So how has God decided to bring this glorious truth to the world, both to Jews and Gentiles? Well, we see two ways in these verses. One way is he uses previous God-hating sinners. Now, those sinners who have been transformed by the power of the gospel, Christians, to spread his word. We see in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7, Paul talking about himself that he's become a minister of this gospel, that he has been chosen to preach the message to the Gentiles. And in verse 7, he states that he's been given this gift of grace in order to accomplish the work. This gift, just like salvation, doesn't come because we work hard. People don't come to salvation because we work hard or we're inherently good or talented, but it comes from God. And then he goes on in verse 8, not him being self-hating, but pointing to the fact that he, at least we forget, was a persecutor of the church. Paul didn't grow up, grow up a Christian at a young age. He grew up a Christian-hating opposer. But God saved him. And now he, has cho he, he, cho he chose to use Paul to spread his message to the Gentiles, to bring light to a dark place, God chose a broken vessel, imperfect humans, those of us who used to hate God in order to spread his message. God chooses to use us, Christians, to spread his message to the Gentiles. And in verse 10, we see that he uses the church. 
so that the wisdom of God may be made known, not only to the people, but to rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. We don't have time to get into what this means or what this could mean. But God is using the formation, the unity of his church, people brought out from every tongue, nation, tribe, language, skin color, with one thing in common. Here in Fairdale, we have a few things in common. But the biggest thing we have in common is Christ is our Savior. And it doesn't matter if we're here right now in, in Louisville, Kentucky, preaching the gospel, or somewhere around the world. We're unified. The church is unified through Christ and his gospel. And because of that, verse 10 The church, the manifold wisdom of God may be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. What the world thinks is foolish, giving your life up for your enemies, forgiving those who hate, hate you. God sees as bringing wisdom, his wisdom to all created things. Not just people, but everything. He's using the church to bring glory to himself. And we see that in verse 10. So what can we take away from this? What is Paul trying to make sure we understand? I think three things. One, the extent of the atonement for us, is more than just being saved from hell. It's, it is that, but it's not just that. We are being saved, and we get Christ, we get God. He is saving us to something. We are now partakers of this promise. We are now part of this family of God. We're being changed daily, and we are called to go out and preach that same gospel to all people. And the power of the gospel, second, saves all kinds of people, regardless of background. And he uses all kinds of people, regardless of background. It doesn't matter if you think that you're, you have too uh, messed up of a background, if your former life was too wild, or your current situation is too messed up. God uses sinners, broken vessels, to, to have his gospel spread throughout all the world. And finally, like I said, the power of the gospel saves all people, and we all have the same footing under Christ Jesus if we have faith in him. Let us, as we go out, let us pray and remember that Christ saves and salvation comes from him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you are a God that is bigger than us. That, Lord, when we fail you, when we are struggling for words, Lord, you are a God that speaks 
through us, that God, you are one who is bigger than anything, Lord, that we, that we can throw at you. You are not surprised by our sin, Lord, but you had a plan from eternity past, a plan for salvation. And Lord, we thank you for that plan. We thank you that you save to the uttermost, that Lord, all those people who have faith in you will be saved. We know that. And we can rest in that promise. Lord, we love you. It's your son's name that we pray. Amen.